What is up, everybody? This is Brayden from Flint Mastering, and I am the host and content curator of the Mixing Music Podcast exclusive episodes. And today we have for you an exclusive archive, which means you're going to hear an exclusive episode that DK and I recorded almost a year ago. You're going to have the chance to hear what our exclusive episodes are all about and how much fun and learning goes on between me and DK as we discuss technical tips and important techniques in relation to producing mixing and mastering. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to be a part of the exclusive content we provide twice a week, you can do so by heading over to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we couldn't do this podcast without you. I hope you enjoy this episode of the exclusive archives. And with that, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mixing Music Podcast, and welcome back to another exclusive episode of the Mixing Music Podcast. First and foremost, thank you so much for your subscription. We really appreciate everything that you do for us, and without you, we could not do this. I'll be your host for today, Braden from Flint Mastering, and joining me, as always, is the legendary mix engineer himself, Daddy DK. What's up, DK? How you doing, man? <laughs> what up? Hello. Thank you so much for subscribing to the podcast and, you know, giving us a reason to live. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 uh, <give it> <laughs> no, but for real, though, thank you so much for subscribing. Um, this, These are actually really fun to make, these exclusive episodes. So thanks again for having me on my own show. Yes. Braided. <laughs> this is the best part, having DK on his own show. All right, my friends. Today, we are going to get into legendary mix engineer Kevin Davis. For those of you that don't know him, uh, I did not know him until recently, but he has done Neo, Sam Smith, Monster X, huge K-pop group, TI, Future, Notorious B.I.G., and Rihanna. So he's got quite the impressive resume going there, and uh, we're going to listen to a clip of him talk about compressing kick drums, compressing vocals, as well as trusting your instincts when you're mixing and getting the balance of an instrumental right with a vocal. So here we go roll the tape got a little slight compression on this kick just kind of give a little snap to it and i've added a little bit of uh 77 70 80 hertz to kind of a little roundness to the bottom of the kick got a nice round tone to him so it's pretty clear that i'm not over you kind of bring it up with a little bit of Arvox just to kind of bring his level up over overall. Very subtle, nothing crazy. And after listening, then I'll just move on to, to see if he needs a, just any slight compression. I kind of like referencing the ref mix. That kind of just gives me the guide of where I should go. But then I just kind of trust my natural instincts what I think would make this song interesting for myself. Like what would make me want to listen to the song over and over again. And a lot of times that's just where the rhythm section is sitting with the vocals. 
Awesome. So again, that is a super great clip from Kevin Davis, legendary mix engineer. Check him out. He's done some awesome things. So first and foremost, Kevin talks about compression on a kick drum. And then he also talks about boosting a little bit at maybe 77, 80 hertz. Now, when he's compressing this kick drum, to give you an idea so that you're not lost in the dark, he's got a five to one ratio, super fast release, and the threshold is really not pulled down that low. And he's using the SSL channel strip. So to start, question for DK. What are your favorite ways to go about compressing a kick drum, or what are some technical tips you have for compressing kick drums? Great question. Yeah, so the thing with like compression and with kick drums is first we need to kind of understand compression in general. Now we've heard lots of people on the internet say compression can make things thicker. And I think what they actually mean is that like the saturation from the compressors can make different instruments thicker. Because quite frankly, the actual just compression part of it usually makes things a lot thinner. So um, we understand, and compression is meant to be, um, it's meant to be like uh, to clamp down on the volume. So people will be like, I want more snap, and they put a compressor on it. Well, I don't know why they would do that because now they're just the only reason why that snap feels like it's bigger is because they're cutting off after a certain millisecond of the transient to emphasize the first, like, for example, a 38 second attack time to emphasize the first 30 milliseconds and then to cut off the rest of it where like an expander, something like a transient designer from SPL would be better for that scenario to kind of give it a little bit more punch. I mean, it kind of does something similar, especially with the makeup game, but um, I want to like it's a different thinking, right? It's a different process. So um, we got to understand that first. Second thing is is the kick drum is it a live kick versus like a sampled kick? Because if it's a sample kick, then we typically don't need compression ever, especially if it's every single sample is the same exact dynamic. Now, pragmat pragmatically speaking, we only need compression on a kick for the purpose of compression, not the tone, for the purpose of compression, if it's like a live kick or if the samples have different dynamics to make it feel live. That way we actually, so like, this happens all the time with a live kick. Like some of the kick hits feel softer and some of them feel extra hard and the compression is meant to make every single kick feel a little bit more consistent. Not the same, but feel a little bit more consistent. You can't really change the tone. Like a hard hitting kick drum, no matter how much you turn it down, will be a quiet, hard-hitting, hard-sounding kick drum. Versus, like, no matter how much you turn up a soft kick hit, like, it'll sound soft. It'll just be a loud, soft kick hit. So, like, you can't really change the tone, but you can change, like, the volume. So the first step is to figuring out whether or not this track needs compression. Now, oftentimes, I use compression on kick drums not for the compression bit, but for the saturation or the tone that the compressor can add, kind of like a tone color box, some people say. I can also use like a decapitator or like black box or anything else where that just adds saturation. Oftentimes with kick drums, I like to use um, the little radiator from Sound Toys. Uh, it kind of adds this like lower mids, upper lows, 100 to 200 hertz saturation that I really, really like. Um, and so that's like one thing. And and again, like saturating and clipping is also a form of like compression, like you're cutting off or rounding out the transients, right? 
It's just a little bit different. So first is figuring out whether or not you need compression on a kick drum. And if you decide that it does need compression or I do want to change the tone or whatever it is that you're deciding and make sure that it's intentional conscious, then you need to figure out how much is needed. Two things that you want to look out for is obviously the tone of it. The more you drive a compressor, the more that it like sucks. Like uh, like sucks as in like the more is it like it, <laughs> it like cuts gain, the more gain that it cuts. It's going to drastically change the tone. Um of the kick drum and oftentimes you'll find that it makes it thinner um and maybe that's what you want i don't i'm not exactly sure and maybe there's each compressor compressor sounds totally different so being aware of the tone the second is the actual dynamics of it for example oftentimes with kick drums i want to do such a little amount that i can't really tell that there's a compressor on it when i'm listening back to it but i'm seeing the meters reading and giving me a couple dbs of headroom or a little couple so it's like I'm getting a little bit more headroom practically, but I'm not hearing the difference. And that's a really great place to be as well. Um, so you need to figure out, at least be like intentional with what it's doing, figure out what it is it's doing, and if you need it. And if you do need it, then like, yeah, sometimes you can go hard in the paint with it and that makes it sound awesome. And sometimes like a little goes a long way. Did that? I think that answered that question. Yes, yes, it totally did. <laughs> and speaking from my own experience, um, just going back to what you said at the beginning, really pay attention to the difference between is it a live kick drum or is it sampled? Uh, when I first started mixing and I had people sending me tracks, a lot of them were EDM tracks. And the kick drum, if you even just look at the waveform, it's already like compressed and limited. Like the kick drum has been normalized. Or it's, so or it's consistent. Even if it yeah. hasn't been compressed or limited, it's it's super consistent. So you don't practically need to compress anything that's super consistent. Exactly. It's the same sound every time, especially if you copy and paste, which a lot of people like to do. And I was like, I was like, well, I was taught in audio school that I need to compress the kick drum to make everything even. Boo. And so, <laughs> boo. We should insert crowd boos right here. Yeah, boo. <laughs> well, I mean, I, the reason why I boo, I don't mean to cut you off, but the reason why I boo is not because you're not supposed to compress the kick drum, but because the, in this scenario, the logic is, I was told you need to, so I must. And yes, that's not yeah. intentional. And that's yep. really going to hurt your engineering more than anything else. Absolutely. Well, and it did. In, in the end, I... I felt like I struggled with the kick drum and I was like, I don't understand. Like I'm compressing it. I have a slower attack time. So the, the transient is getting through and a fast release. And I was like, I don't understand what, what the deal is. I was like, Oh, maybe my ratio is wrong. Maybe I don't understand compression. Maybe I can't hear the compression, but really it was just, it's a sample kick drum. So I, I don't need the compression. So to DK's point, uh, and we'll, we will say this till the end of time, till the day we die, use your ears. <laughs> it's the most important tool you have. In in this clip with Kevin Kevin Davis, did he? How much did he compress on the kick drum? It's like hardly doing anything. It's it's maybe two dB of gain reduction, if I remember correctly. Um, if you want to watch the clip, mix with the masters, Kevin Davis. Uh, but it's really not doing much. And he literally says, which this actually leads to my next question for you, DK. He says it's to kind of round out the kick drum. And in the clip. He also talks about rounding out the vocals of Sam Smith. He also uses a compressor that's doing maybe 3 dB of gain reduction. It's like an LA-2A style compressor. He's using it, does maybe 3 dB of gain reduction on the vocal, and he says that it, like, it's to help the vocal be round, or he says the vocal is round. So in technical terms, DK, what what are we looking for when someone says, I want something round? Like, what are we, are we cutting frequencies? Are we, you know, what, what does that mean for you? Yeah, this is this is a great question. Something that um, 
I have to think about a little bit as I'm talking, thinking out loud here. I think I first want to bring up that, like semantics or definitions of of vocabulary that people in the industry use, like glue, round, sharp, bright. Um, we need to come first come to a conclusion of what they mean because like we don't have an industry by uh, industry dictionary of what these <laughs> things like for sure mean like everybody has a different interpretation of it i have an idea round first off we need to understand that like round is a feeling because i've i've had clients be like we need to make this feel brighter but they did not mean boosting the top end <laughs> like interesting so like like we need to figure out what it means to kind of interpret if I had to interpret what this means and it's a lot easier from engineer to engineer because over time being in the industry you kind of understand similar definitions without having a dictionary um, so this is my best interpretation my best guess and I'm probably right but <laughs> like this is this is up for interpretation um, for the kick drum I would assume round is actually being round and more fluffy where it's not as so mm. much like a transient it's super sharp in its transient peaks but when when you compress or clip or distort or saturate it literally takes a sharp pointy triangle tip transient and makes it a little bit rounder it, the analog equipment or saturation or compression will literally round out the top of the transient to be less of a pointy triangle to a little bit more rounder of an edge edge and I think that's partially what he means as far as like the kick drum. It's less it's less punchy and pokey and more round and fluffy. Like we've all heard those like super death metal kick drums like like super bright. Yeah, super clicky and then that's not round. I would not see that super round. But then there's lots of R&B tracks where like the attack feels a lot slower. Poof poof, it's like fluffier. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the more definition of round. Now, cool. that doesn't apply to vocals. When he says he wants to round out the vocals, I'm not exactly sure what it means to round out. And, and mm. here's the beautiful thing. And this is the beautiful thing. We can figure out and feel and make our own words up as long as we're doing it like intentionally, coming back to what we were talking about before. So for him, it might mean rounding out the vocals. It just means like, oh, like, like I'm making sure that like the peaks and like the really loud, dynamically loud parts kind of level out. So we round it out by like, you know, molding clay and making sure that it's a little bit more compact and kind of a deal. That's probably what he means. But mm. it's for us to kind of determine. And for him, he likes to use the word rounding out, which kind of means a specific feeling and emotionally translate what he's trying to do. Um, and I think that, like, I think I want to use that example as an okay for anybody that's listening to right now to describe what you like about things and what you want to do with things in words that most people don't understand. It's okay to do that because that's actually a form of you doing things intentionally. You don't know what it is just doing. It's kind of like, oh, like I've said things before. It's like, oof, this is very like floofy <laughs> or like um, there's like a, there's a word that I use all the time to describe um, like describe how something hits like squanchy or something like that. I uh. forgot what it was. <laughs> I, I use it like I use it. Me and Lou use it all the time. Like I don't know exactly. I forgot what the word is off the top of my head right now. But like yeah. it's not a real word and nobody knows what it is except Lou and I. But that's like proof that like we're looking for a specific tone and that communicates before both of us. And more importantly, like it's an indicator that we're thinking through it and it's intentional. Uh, so that's more about like language, but as far as like rounding out vocals, I think he means just making sure he's um, controlling the dynamics a little bit and giving like mm. rounding up, you know, making sure that 
making sure that it's a little bit more dynamically controlled without doing too much. It's a soft dynamic control. Awesome. That makes total sense. That uh, I was wondering, you know, when I watched the clip, I was like, what does he, what specifically does he mean by this? And I think you totally put it into words what he was looking for. And uh, maybe what we should do at some point is create a mixing music podcast, music industry dictionary. What the hell we... does glue mean? What the <laughs> hell does, does, does nasally mean? And, and boxy and squanchy and, and just more... <laughs> Just more Rick and Morty adjectives. Exactly. We interview 30 engineers and then get a get a general definition and then sell it. Well, Boxy <laughs> is, is 500 hertz to... Oh. <laughs> I always cut in this area. There's always a problem here. Um, okay. Last thing we'll say in this... <laughs> you know, Sorry, Jimmy, Jimmy Douglas said that at Mixed with the Masters uh, at NAMM in 2019... Uh, Jimmy Douglas was on the booth and he's like, you know, someone told me that at 400, 500 Hertz is always a problem. So ever since then, um, I always cut 500 Hertz and we all knew that he was laughing and and like we were all started laughing in the audience and most people were (laughs) laughing and like immediately knew that that was sarcastic, but I'm sure that there were some young engineers in the crowd be like, Oh "Oh, I'm going to take this from like Jimmy Douglas said it. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, that was, that's, that was sarcastic boys and girls. Yes. Yes, it was. We are, we are. Poking fun at people who set hard and fast rules in music. Yes. Uh, okay. The last thing I want to talk about real quick is he says at the end of the clip that for him, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, trusting the rough mix, which we've talked a little bit about already with Wesley Brathwaite, so we won't go into that again. But he says he listens to the music and mixes to hear it the way that he would want to hear it. Like what would keep him interested in the song? And he says one way he does that is by balancing the instrumental um, or kind of the rhythm section track with the vocal. So recently DK did a mix uh, live. You can watch DK mix stuff live. When do you do your live streams when you mix stuff on Twitch? When I mix stuff, it's usually Thursdays. Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, But all of the live streams are either available on Twitch under past streams or on YouTube under past streams. There you go. So I watched DK mix something, and he started – DK mentioned a lot of people like to start with the vocal, but DK said he likes to start with the instrumental. So he started, did the bass first, went to the drums, guitars, got all the instruments good, and then put the vocal in. So DK, if if we're thinking kind of like along the lines of Kevin Davis here, where he says balancing the rhythm section and the instrumental with the vocal, how do you go about doing that to where they fit together and complement each other? Good question. Uh, I think this is when it starts to get a little bit more personal, like personal preference and workflow. But I'll kind of let you in on my thought process. First off, I think it's fair to say that for me, I do a lot of mixed feedback. I like Friday mornings on Twitch. And just before I started streaming as well over email and at the beginning of the podcast when I started doing it for free via email, I don't do that anymore. It's, it's, uh, you can do it through the Discord. But I did notice that it's a lot harder to judge instrumentals. Like, unless you're an EDM cat where, like, the song is the instrumental, but, like, when someone yeah. makes a beat, whether it's, like, hip-hop or pop, without the vocals or, like, a sense of reference, it's kind of hard to give them mixed feedback. Interesting. Uh, like, I mean, obviously there's things like transients, like, oh, the kick drum is just not coming through and it's just way too heavy. And there are times where, like, there's obvious feedback, but it's a lot easier for me to give feedback when there's vocals and an instrumental. And I, and I think about this sometimes. I'm like, why, 
why is it so much more obvious and easier to give feedback when it's and, and, and part of me is like oh it's because I'm a vocalist and I'm really freaking good at mixing vocals so maybe I'm just extra picky with vocals but I think it's more than that honestly the more I think about it I think it's it's the vocals with the instrumental and like if the instrumental is too quiet relative to the vocal or if the vocal is too loud or too quiet relative to the instrumental then it makes it feel out of place and there's the loss of that glue <laughs> yeah <laughs> no throw another term um and oftentimes especially like in a two-track scenario when i'm looking at it from a mastering engineer's perspective like um I know that you know this, like when you like compress a two track with the vocal and the instrumental, sometimes you can reduce the amount of space, perceptive space between the vocal and the instrumental, which makes it feel a little bit more glued together, cohesive, right? As a sound. Um, so yes, I think there's an important and quite frankly, a delicate balance between instrumentals and vocals that have to be practiced and performed a lot of people like to get the vocals right under the under the premise that like vocals are the most important thing and can make or break a song so i want to make sure that the vocals are right for me i don't know why i think this is like a quirk thing quirky thing that i do i always start with the instrumental first i i specifically start with the bass which is even more weird because usually most people start with the kick drum um but i do the instrumental first and I want to be very clear, when I'm carving out the instrumental and I'm EQing and mixing the instrumental both with faders first, obviously, and with EQ, I'm carving out space um, with anticipation of placing the vocal. So like, I'm anticipating that the vocal is going to join in. And then I kind of carve out, I lower the volume of the instrumental once that's kind of mixed, and then I carve out the vocal on top of a very quiet instrumental. So I kind of know what part of the song I'm in, what's going on, and I kind of carve out the vocal to make it sound as good as possible. And then I raise the volume of the instrumental. Now is the most important part of the mixing. Like, I'll do some micro adjustments there on like the all vocal instrumental bus and do some EQ things if there's like some clashing stuff. Very little, but I do some if, if needs be. Um, and then the most important part is honestly leveling it out turning up the instrumental or turning down the vocals, turning up the vocals, whatever it is. It's the general volumes. And how you place a vocal as far as volume can totally change based on the uh, the conflicting frequencies or the competing frequencies. For example, if you have a lot of 500 hertz in the instrumental, for some reason a lot of 500 hertz where that's like the root, root notes of the root frequencies of the vocal, um, you're going to either have to, one, cut 500 hertz out of the vocal or the instrumental... Um, or turn up the vocal more than you would have needed to if you just cut 500 hertz out. Because if you cut 500 hertz out of the instrumental, then the vocal will sit a little bit louder in that section, mm-hmm. right? But if you leave them both the same, you're going to have to turn up the overall volume of the vocal to f- feel perceived in the same amount of, like, on topness. Uh, that, that didn't make sense, but um, same volume there. So, like... It's this gentle balance, and honestly speaking, like we've all listened to music before, we understand music, we love music. You you didn't come into this field without ever having listened to any music before, so we all have a genuinely inherent sense, a genuine inherent sense of what good music sounds like. And this is where the staying inspired part comes in. Like, take a break if you need to, five, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and maybe even the next day, and place the vocal when you're not biased, like. I, sometimes I need to like 
mute the vocal or turn it all the way down to zero and then slowly raise it up and this is where it comes like it's not a science at this point there's no yeah. science about this <laughs> it is genuinely like this feels good i've heard of yeah. like people on youtube being like you got to make sure that the vocals are sitting at minus 15 rms and and then the instrumental is also sitting at minus 6 rms or minus 15 rms then it's going to be perfect that is absolute bullshit uh, another edm thing is like if the <laughs> if the instrumental is filling and it looks similar to a white noise graph absolute bullshit how how the vocal and the instrument reacts and interacts with each other is different for every single song mostly dead yes. predicated by the instrument or the arrangement the sound choice not the eq it can be but not as much as the arrangement and the producer's production yes so like if a song doesn't have keys like a trap song doesn't have a keyboard but it's just got like really annoying lead lead synths it's not going to have the same mid-range as a song where it's all just Warlitzer you know it, it's <laughs> yeah, not yeah. and so you can't expect it to have similar cur- like you have to make sure to pay attention that the the interaction between the two um, are specified and specific for that song and, and yeah I I hope that I'm answering the question. I know I'm kind of getting long-winded right now. But yes, the the relationship between the vocal and the instrumental are absolutely important and can make or break a mix. And it's just one of those things you have to stay inspired. It's not a science. It's not an RMS thing. You can't meter that shit. You just got to listen and and come back to it if you need to. Take some time. It's true. And that's that's kind of what Kevin Davis was saying as well as he said, you know, trust your instincts. He said, if I was listening to this song as a consumer, not as a mix engineer, as a consumer, what would the balance, what would I like the balance in this to be? What would I like to hear? Do I want to hear the vocal more up front? Do I want to hear a louder kick drum? Do I want to hear a rounder kick drum? Do I want the, the mix to be more glued? You know, so DK is totally right. You and like he was saying, like you can turn the vocal down and then pull up the fader until it feels right. So trust your instincts. Like DK said, we've all listened to music. We know what it's um, quote unquote supposed to sound like. So just do it. Just trust yourself. I guarantee that all of you listening are better than you think you are, because I think most people are. And so just trust yourself, trust your gut, trust your instincts, and you're going to be just fine. Can I make one last comment about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I honestly think um, um, this is something that I've never really vocalized in the podcast, and I probably should unlike the main content. Um, I... The more I do this, the more I help others do this. Um, it's different. When I do this by myself, it's I learn different things or see things in a different perspective than when I help others. And when I help others, I see like common problems that people have or common issues or, or different thought processes and workflows. Um, and I think this is one thing that I, I think ties together. I can generalize and it's pretty accurate. I don't believe that... It's the lack of training or the lack of education and especially the lack of tools that's hurting people's mixes the most. Absolutely. I honestly think that the number one cause of bad mixes is a lack of trust in yourself. Um, I'm not saying that you don't need time to get better, but I think one of the things that makes mixers better over time is an increased confidence in self. And I don't think that that's like, I honestly think that does take time. Like the more practice you put into something, the more confident you're going to feel about it. I think that's part of the practice. It's not just like a muscle memory thing. I think it's like the practice makes me feel like I can do this and repeat this again. Right. Um, 
But I, th- I think that's the number thing. If you are more confident with yourself and your own decisions, then you'd probably spend less time experimenting and like, and then being indecisive and, you know, like you'd, you'd probably just stay more in the zone and stay more um, as as Kenny would or sorry, yeah, Kevin Davis would say, is is staying more inspired. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and yeah. I think that that's a big deal. So I think that's a big, important part that I just wanted to vocalize. 100%. And I can say personally for myself, the more masters I do, the more confident I feel, the better I feel. And typically when I do a master and I'm like, oh, like I get it. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not really uh, I'm not really too sure what to do about this or whatever. It does affect the end result. And when I get it and I listen to it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this, try that, try this. And then I listen back to it. Most of the time it is better. And I don't know why that is, but it's just like a crazy psychological thing that if you are confident in yourself, it will come out in your mixes and your masters and your music. And I can like 100% say that's real because it happens to me like every master I do. (laughs) So, um, Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, DK. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you so much to our subscribers. We're going to wrap up on that note. Make sure you join the Mixing Music Discord. If you haven't, super dope community. DK answers questions in there all the time. You can hit up Lou. You can hit me up as well. Um, That's mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash discord. There you go. mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash discord. And you can also download the Discord app on your phone. Uh, wow, this is sounding like a plug for Discord now. You can download it on your phone. You can, <laughs> you can download it on your computer and communicate with us any way you want. Uh, make sure that you leave us a five-star review on the Mixing Music Podcast if you like what you hear. It really helps us. It gets us the uh, podcast out to more people and helps us do our job better. So thanks again so much for listening. I uh, I think I may have come up with a signature catchphrase this week, DK. You can tell me if it's super lame or not. Oh, but, I'm going to uh, judge you. Here it is. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. My new phrase is keep Keep learning, keep growing, and keep going. So, I don't know. Is that good? Does it suck? Oh, no, your face. (laughs) It's trash. It's not my face. No, it's good. It's clever. It's clever. It's good. Say it again. Say it again. Keep learning, keep growing, and keep going. How do you feel about it? I don't know. I, I, had, uh, I actually had one of your interns hit me up, and we had a big meeting, and uh, after, afterwards we texted him, and I was like, hey, you're doing great, man. Just keep learning, keep going, keep growing. And I didn't even mean it like to be a phrase or anything. I just said it, and I was like- Wait, who? Huh. Uh, Mario Rodriguez. Ah, I yeah. see. I see. Keep, so. going, keep learning, keep growing, keep going. Yep. Clever. Nice. Based on, based on the look on your face, I might change it up, but no, 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 dude. So. My catchphrase "Stay saucy" is the most cringy one ever, and and you just keep going with it. Oh, sorry, keep growing and keep going with it. Yeah, that's keep just growing. what it is. And then all of a sudden, it slowly becomes like a signature. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll make a profile photo now for myself where it's got a ring around me. It's just keep learning. Keep Mine, mine's going to be go. stay saucy and stay naughty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so good. <laughs> stay just, naughty, this podcast friends. has become like just a star, like just a you know, really different vibe after that. <laughs> yeah. forget everything we just said focus on this uh no anyway cool well we'll end i'll let dk do the signature and the dope sign off and wait hold on we want to hear yours now now it's official that's oh, official okay all right my sign off and then dk's keep learning keep growing and keep going yee <laughs> <laughs>
All right, we're keeping the yee. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.